Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. Amid soaring energy prices, politicians across Europe face mounting pressure to intervene in the markets as industry and households struggle to pay bills. But is the energy market broken? Are we in the midst of an energy crisis or an energy price crisis? And how can policymakers fix the core issues, a lack of gas, drought and low hydro levels? We've seen Spanish proposals to cap prices caused to decouple gas from electricity prices with criticism of the marginal pricing model, where the most expensive power plant sets the wholesale price. In a wish to intervene and be seen doing something, how can politicians avoid knee-jerk interventions and unintended consequences? Helping me, Richard Sverison, to discuss these complex issues is an expert on market design and energy markets, Stephen Woodhouse of Avery. A warm welcome to you, Stephen. Richard, thank you very much for the introduction. I just want to talk about, you know, start off by market intervention. Why? What, what, what is it that needs fixing here, Stephen? Well, I would say we're neither in an energy crisis nor an energy price crisis. We're under siege. And that's in relation to our fuel supplies. And the best time to deal with the siege is before it happens, by laying in stores, putting in place alternative supply routes, self-provision, minimizing waste and in extremist ensuring that you have a fair allocation. Now, we didn't do those things beforehand. We're trying to do them now. And I do think it's important to distinguish between the things that we need to do in the short run and the things that we need to do to make sure that our market continues to operate in in the long run. Are we in in an energy crisis or an energy price crisis? Well, if, if you follow the logic that it's a siege, I guess it's an energy crisis. But it's being the siege is conducted through a market which underpins both our society and our economy. So anything which goes through a market becomes a price crisis. And it's in the immediate term, we're not at the point of having a shortage of gas. We're at the point of having very high price gas. I think if we look forward to the winter, it's quite possible that it beca- that it, it could become shortages. The current market design, would you say then that it's fit for, for purpose in the current market environment? I mean, what you know, if you if, can you go into some detail maybe about the short term fixes versus the longer term uh, fixes that you're mentioning there, Stephen? Market designs are created by economists and the primary objective is efficiency, both for investment and operation. We don't design markets for political acceptability. And that, I think, is where things start to break down. If the markets are delivering results which are not politically acceptable, we should then expect some kind of intervention. So, you know, I'm, a, I'm an economist. I've been a, an economist nearly all of my life. I still find it incredibly hard to understand the logic of a model where when we're facing a shortage, we don't make the marginal price reflect that shortage. If we subsidize the price of electricity or gas, we're not doing the thing that we need to do most, which is incentivize people to reduce their consumption and with electricity which is time dependent reduce their consumption at certain times perhaps we're doing the opposite so anything which takes away the marginal price signal doesn't seem to be helping but we must recognize that not everybody can afford to pay those prices and there will have to be some kind of redistribution around that and normally economists absolve themselves for redistribution saying that's a matter for politicians but it is critical that the unaffordability of energy to chunks of our society and perhaps chunks of our economy is, is going to need to be dealt with. 
I still don't think that the fundamentals of the market design are what is wrong. What is wrong is that there's not been enough forward hedging. And we've seen over many, many years that consumers and agents on behalf of consumers don't hedge forward very far. So if we're genuinely concerned about the types of shock that we're seeing today happening in the future, perhaps we need some more institutionalized hedging, which of course exists today already in the form of, for example, CFDs and feed-in tariffs for renewables. And you know maybe the answer is to extend that type of contract structure further, even perhaps to existing renewables. And we'll come back later about whether that's on a voluntary basis or otherwise. Some companies have forward hedged and are in, are in deep trouble. I mean, I'm, you know, um, looking at sort of a large German utility, uh, Finnish utility. I mean, these these guys have forward hedged themselves. And, and yet, um, because of the scarcity of gas, they're, 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 they're in a serious financial uh, trouble. I wasn't particularly talking about the forward hedging of gas. I'd be talking about the knock on consequences on electricity prices. So. The critical issue today is that we're facing marginal energy prices. So we have a diminishing share of gas in the mix as renewables march further on. But that share of gas generation, which is fueled by gas prices and carbon prices, which have both gone up, let's say, tenfold, that affects the entirety of the electricity market. And not much of the volume of the electricity is, is forward hedged in a way that can withstand that kind of shift in the marginal price. Nobody was anticipating tenfold multipliers in the price for sustained periods of time. Absolutely. We're in an, an extraordinary situation at the moment, uh, Stephen. But so if, you know, I'd, I'd say that you would be a staunch defender of the marginal pricing model then. Uh, yes, but it does need to be complemented with measures that deal firstly with the immediate crisis and help prevent future crises. So, as I say, you need you need to diversify your supply routes. So it's been a particularly bad time to be closing a lot of nuclear capacity in, in Europe, although maybe the timing isn't completely coincidental. Um, what we are finding, though, is that the policy risk is becoming unmanageable. So at the moment, we've got consumers who can't afford to pay their bills. We've got a portion of the market whose underlying costs have gone up very substantially. But we've got another portion of the market on the production side whose costs have not gone up very substantially and the market price has. So, you know, in economics terms, they're getting a lot more producer surplus than previously. Now, if we need to find money from somewhere to support consumers, um, ultimately, one way of doing that is to take money from the future by borrowing. We can redistribute between consumers today using taxation and, and, and spend. But the obvious place at the moment is to take some of the producer surplus from the generators who are earning these high prices but are not facing the high gas and carbon costs. So from a political perspective, it is very obvious why it is the producers that we're targeting for a lot of the, the immediate remedial measures. Now, the politics of that aside, what we must remember is we will need investors in the future. So whatever the measures are to take away some of those producer gains, that producer surplus in the short run, it has to be done within the reasonable expectations of the investors rather than against them. So, you know, 
I'm not involved in the politics of this. Windfall taxes are, are usually something that economists prefer to avoid discussion of. But, but where they do, you have to say that this must be done in a way that's literally a windfall, a lightning strike tax, so as not to raise expectations of repeat behavior, because if you do, you will deter investors. Now, if we're looking at the longer term solutions, energy does underpin our entire world. We're becoming more and more dependent on electricity to run our society. Um, maybe electricity is different. And maybe the regime we have um, for liberalized energy markets perhaps needs a coda that, you know, super normal profits won't be permitted in the industry. And that becomes part of the licensing regime. The damage of windfall taxes is they happen against the expectations of, of, of investors and therefore they deter future investment. If you can make them part of the backdrop as a planned contingency under certain circumstances, maybe that's the way to improve the stability of the markets in future. But determining a windfall tax surely is, 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 is a fine line, isn't it? What's a, uh, you know, what's a reasonable rate of return and what's a, a, a massive or I've seen the, the Germany, German ministry called them insane profits uh, from some producers, you know, so uh, over the weekend. But how, how do you determine what's a, what's, a, what's, a, what's a windfall and what isn't? No, no. Well, I would rather be having that discussion when there isn't a crisis on than when there is. That's, that, that, I think, is the point. Most, most markets fail because of policy interventions. So making sure that you've built in some robustness against the things which are going to cause policy event interventions is good market design. Um, and we often overlook that. So I, I give an example. It's a, it's a very common um, story that a feed-in tariff is announced for renewables in a country and the price looks generous and the cost of the underlying technology falls quickly and the take-up of the feed-in tariff becomes runaway and the total cost looks incredible and they make a radical change to the policy. I think in Britain that happened. There was a judicial review and the government got forced to change. There've been retrospective changes. Now, all of these things are actually relatively predictable. Um, so if you had built in the off tap when you designed the policy, we wouldn't have had these policy induced shocks. So what I'm advocating is um, more forward thinking when energy market designs are put in place to what are the stresses and what are the circumstances where this will cease to work. And it is always that they cease to work on a political level before they cease to work on an economic level. We've seen several proposals. We've seen already a, a Spanish intervention into the markets that was approved by the European Commission. Um, and, you know, several countries have urged a decoupling of gas from power prices. Now, how, how can you do that? Will that work in, in practice, uh, in, in practice, Stephen? You can make anything work in practice in the short run. The impact on the future market in the long run is, is, is the question. So, of course, if you have one marginal technology that's a lot more expensive than everything else, you know, if you simply care about um, consumer prices, consumer surplus, and you have no interest in producer welfare, if you can subsidize that marginal technology, you get that money back several times over because you reduce the prices for all consumers. So, you know, they're, they're using a very effective lever there. 
um, it requires a windfall tax to actually fund the subsidy to the gas, as I understand it. And another type of measure is what's proposed in Greece, where we simply don't pay the marginal price to certain technologies, you know, based on fuel price discrimination. There are some oddities in the Greek proposal that they distinguish between sort of as produced um, intermittent variable generation and, you know, dispatchable generation with a fuel price. But they have allocated renewable plus storage into the as produced. And that's because I think they can't figure out what the fuel price should be for it. And that is exactly why we need marginal price economics. You, your price reflects the marginal actual cost and the marginal opportunity cost. And, you know, in a Norwegian system of old, the marginal fuel was water. And you had the choice whether to let it out in the run of river schemes or hold it back in the reservoirs and let it out later. But that doesn't mean you have a zero price system. It means the opportunity value of that water is what determines your price. And any market system which doesn't have marginal pricing at its heart is likely to have inefficient dispatch. But most critically of all, it's likely to have inefficient use of electricity, both in terms of the quantity, but also in the timing. And the one message we have to have for the future is that we have to be much more careful in the amount of energy we consume and the amount of energy we waste. But as I say, with electricity, it's also critical to know, um, are you consuming energy at the right times? And marginal price signals are really the only tool we have to be able to ensure efficiency in, in, in those dimensions. You know, several politicians, you know, sadly don't don't agree with that view, do they, Stephen? I mean, you've seen Boris Johnson, Macron, even Ursula von der Leyen saying that the, the system needs fixing. But, um, you know, I, I don't know what, what are, we're having a meeting of the uh, energy ministers on, on, on you know, on on Friday, the same day as we go out. What what are your hopes here and maybe some of your fears that uh, concerns that, you know, that the politicians will come up with some some proposals here that may not fit um, the purpose that they're designed for? Well, let me be clear. We have to distinguish between the marginal prices that people pay at the edges, which influence behavior, and then the average prices that they have to pay. So finding a way that some consumers are protected from the full force of the price is, is, is one thing. Charging them the average, I mean, I would prefer that they were given money and still charged the marginal price. So they still saw that a kilowatt hour costs a lot of money and they should do what they can to reduce it. If you subsidize the price per kilowatt hour, you're giving completely the wrong messages. So it'd be better if you're redistributing money to do it in the form of money or at least to do it so that the marginal price signal is, is not reduced. Because ultimately, we're going to have to reduce our energy consumption and anything which damages that incentive is, is, is going to make things worse in the long run. So I'm not against the idea of taking money from one group of producers or even from future consumers. You know, we're talking about setting up funds and borrowing money. Um, if you can lock in producers to some kind of long term CFD through a long-term hedge backed by the government and backed by future consumers and taxpayers ultimately, that seems to be a reasonable model. You're effectively then pushing today's cost onto future consumers. But 
don't destroy the marginal price um, mechanism, which is the basis of markets absolutely everywhere. It's very clear, Stephen, and here that, you know, I can hear, you know, we need to be incentivizing uh, energy efficiency, lowering consumption. But, for example, the talk of, of a cap on prices, has that lowered gas demand in any sense? Well, I would imagine quite the opposite. We, we, we had a similar situation in Australia. So we've, had, we've been having, you know, gas-induced, gas price-induced um, crises in energy markets globally. We're currently working in Singapore on a similar, similar matter. Um, it, it went like this in, Sing- in, in, in Australia. Um, there was a price cap. I think they reduced the price cap. The cost of energy production went above the price cap. And so the producers stopped producing because they were going to earn less revenue than the price gap. And the market was then suspended. Um, So, you know, a lot of these things are actually badly designed and badly implemented. So, you know, I'm sure it would be possible to engineer some structured price cap that applied to certain types of generator or not to other, not to others, or that, that, you know, targeted the fuel cost of the most expensive generators, as in as in Spain, you can make these things function politically in the short term, but they they're not the basis for a long term design of an energy market that supports investment. Which is why we need to separate ad hoc short term emergency measures while the siege is un- underway from what what our long term design is to protect us against whatever the next type of um, siege is going to be. And, and I, I, I can imagine we won't be able to predict exactly what form it takes. We've seen in recent days a lot of emergency funding made available for, for utilities. Um, what's your view here, Stephen? Is this, as you say, a reaction to the short-term siege and that's necessary uh, in a way to redistribute? Or, or is, you know, what, what's your view? So by that, do you mean supply companies to, to fund price cuts to consumers? I mean, more like providing credit to, uh, to big utilities uh, who are facing inc- you know, very high margin calls in wholesale markets. You know. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Well, we need our energy utilities. We need them to be functioning in the midterm. We can't afford to go under in today's, which is an ultimately a geopolitically induced crisis. So if, if, if that is the short term price, it may be a necessary one. I mean, the alternative is to take the French model and renationalize. Um, but, you know, our energy system is part of our society and our economy. And it needs to be protected. Ultimately, that's the ultimate role of government is 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 to keep its citizens secure. And our energy system is a critical part of our security. Absolutely. Some of the proposals we've seen uh, from Spain, from Greece uh, and elsewhere, could any of these work on a pan-European level? I mean, uh, you know, the Spanish system works well within the, the, the Spanish context, the Greek maybe with their own system. I mean, is there anything here that you see, ah, yeah, that could actually work on a, on a European level? The Spanish one will work very badly if it's not done on a European level because it will make Spanish electricity quite cheap relative to its neighbours. Thankfully, it doesn't have very much interconnection with its neighbours. I think I think it applies in Spain and Portugal. So I think, you know, quite what's happening on the interconnector to France, I don't know. But if nothing was done, one might imagine that they're just exporting cheap energy to France, which has been artificially subsidised 
and paid for by 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 the Spanish well windfall tax. So it would only work to do that on a pan-European basis. I personally have much more time for the idea of the Greek style model, but I find it difficult to distinguish the Greek model um, really from a world of CFDs. So the concept of the Greek model is that you, you make a technology split and some producers are paid the marginal cost, but you first run the whole the day ahead market with the must run generation, and then they declare their volumes. Now, that isn't so different to them pricing at zero um, in the market, which is pretty much what happens today. The difference is you don't pay them, the, the renewable generators, the market price. They're settled under some long-term contracts. But if those long-term contracts took the form of a CFD on the wholesale price, it would have pretty much the same effect. And indeed, that's the way the latest sets of renewable generation um, are, are funded in Britain. So we've got CFDs around the day ahead market price for the variable renewables. So it has pretty much the same effect of, of the Greek model, but without having to completely disrupt the way that, you know, the day ahead trading functions, um, you know, the whole concept of day ahead trading is that they're all just megawatt hours. They're not fuel type specific. They're not unit specific. They're just megawatt hours. Anybody can trade them. So we don't have a distinction between the renewable and and the and and the, the conventional liquidity in our intraday time frame is already poor. So if we start breaking up um, the two types of energy in any way at all, I really fear for the liquidity of, of of the markets. So I don't believe market separation is going to solve any problems in the long term. And if you want to achieve that separation of revenue do it through CFDs or some other kind of mechanism to redistribute money. You know, you can do it in, in quite a few ways and encourage those generators who perhaps don't currently have a CFD um, to take one. So we saw, you know, a, a long time ago, there was the opportunity for German renewable generators with a feed-in tariff to, I think it was on a monthly basis, to opt to take the market model. So the idea that generators with some kind of market-based remuneration, a green certificate or, or a merchant plant, the idea that they might voluntarily take a contract, I don't think is, 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 is a problem. And of course, we are in a world where we're moving towards coercion. So, you know, at, at, but at, at least have a structure of a CFD or that type of contract that allows the money to be re redistributed to sit around the existing market mechanisms rather than impose something which breaks up the market. Absolutely. For those listeners who are unaware of CFDs, they're contracts for difference. Um, but Stephen, if I, if I um, can just round off here by, by, by asking you to, to get your crystal ball out and look a little bit into the future, saying, you know, once hopefully we're on the other side of this crisis, things are starting to normalize again, what will the wholesale energy market look like? Um, in, say, 2024, 2025? Well, I fear it will look much less like a market than it does today. So if this crisis persists, you know, we're genuinely, I'm, I said in Britain, we're genuinely talking about millions of people going into energy poverty, tens of millions of houses, of households, sorry, 10 million households, I think was the figure I heard the other day. Um, 
this is a serious crisis. So I will expect there to be some quite significant market interventions. We don't have time to do anything properly. You know, how long would it take to change euphemia along the lines of the Greek model? We all know how long it took to put in place in the first place. So I don't think any of those types of changes are likely to be in place, you know, in a couple of years time. I think more likely is that we put in place some real financial redistribution measures. Um, but the outcomes of the market, I suspect, won't look like market outcomes at that time. Hopefully it will resolve itself not long after. Fingers crossed, Stephen. Stephen, thank you very much for joining the Montel Weekly Podcast. Richard, thank you for the opportunity to share my thoughts. So listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message any suggestions, questions, or you know, let us know if you, if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.